హలో ఐఎమ్ డాక్టర్ సుబ్రహ్మణ్యన్ టీచింగ్ ఇంటర్నేషనల్ రిలేషన్స్ అట్ లోయలా కాలేజ్ చెన్నై ఐ టీచ్ థియరీస్ ఆఫ్ ఇంటర్నేషనల్ రిలేషన్స్ సౌత్ ఏషియా ఈస్ట్ ఏషియా ఇండియాస్ ఫారిన్ పాలసీ అండ్ ఫారిన్ పాలసీ అనాలిసిస్ వి హ్యావ్ డాక్టర్ నాన్సీ విత్స్ టు డిస్కస్ రష్యాస్ మిలిటరీ అఫెన్సివ్ అండ్ ద సీమింగ్ రివిషనిస్ట్ అజెండా బిహైండ్ ఇట్స్ యాక్షన్స్ అండ్ ఆల్సో ది పర్సీవ్ రిపిల్ ఎఫెక్ట్స్ ఆఫ్ ది ఆన్ గోయింగ్ క్రైసిస్ థ్యాంక్ యూ డాక్టర్ సుబ్రహ్మణ్యన్ Hello, I am Dr. Nancy, Head Department of International Relations, Loyola College, Chennai. I teach History of International Relations, Foreign Policy of Major Powers, Human Rights, West Asia, South Asia and Indian Ocean. You are listening to Indo-Pacific Voices, a podcast for regional perspectives on a wide range of topics with one mission, to explore the emergent issues facing the Indo-Pacific. We have witnessed the Russian invasion of Ukraine termed special military operations started on 24th February 2022 the reason ostensibly is to protect its russian ethnic minorities and halt the entry of ukraine into nato the world is witnessing the war costing massive loss of innocent lives and damage to infrastructure in addition of no going against nature and ecology of the region this aggression has shaken european security architecture which was uh, crafted since the second world war uh, dr nancy do you think it is an accurate analysis to compare russia reviving its world order and uh, vladimir putin is emulating peter the great with the ideology of gathering the russian lands and also the reign of catherine the great of the 18th century with idealistic and cynical policy both of whom had conquered and controlled the neighboring territories hello dr subramanian thank you for that question which enable us to understand the background and the intention of Russia, who is going to be the key player of our discussion. There are uh, speculations on Russia's behavior and what exactly is Putin's strategies. In order to grasp the rationale of such behavior, one should understand elements that shape Russia's foreign policy. The main feature of Russia's foreign policy thinking today is to secure its civilizational identity the collapse of soviet union meant much more for russia it was loss of political identity historical identity cultural identity and ethnic boundaries after the collapse of ussr russians had hard time to recognize the neighboring newly independent states as a separate nations or an entity because the soviet space is seen primarily as a battleground for great power competition and the influence between russia on the one hand and the united states nato and europe on the other hand if you notice the west policies towards eurasian region in the post cold war period have exacerbated russian anxieties one should also remember that russia's relation with west and its neighboring countries are not separate issues because nato and eu enlargement and partnership was interpreted in russia not only as west infringement of russia's geopolitical interests but as a threat to its civilizational identity dr nancy you rightly mentioned about russia's civilizational identity and uh, strategizing its policies vis-a-vis its neighbors and emerging powers for more than two decades. Do you see any traces of revisionist agenda in Putin's aggression? 
You see, a revisionist behavior is shaped by how a state is positioned. For example, now the state of Russia within the existing network of international institutions. So, how a state is positioned in terms of material and cultural resources. The state deploy in pursuit of its aims to significantly influences its revisionist strategy. Okay, now let's compare uh, President Vladimir Putin's policies, which are deeply rooted in history. and putin operates in a specific historical and political context the roots of the current discussion on russian identity can be traced you know even back to the early 18th century debates between slavophiles and atlanticists and uh, you know the slavophiles were opposed to the idea of imitating the west according to slavophiles slavophiles emphasis on the slavic identity based on their unique history slavic language and religion the concept of fatherland love for nation were prime focus of slavophiles now you can relate this uh, to russia's invasion of ukraine on 24th february a day after celebrating defender of fatherland day so according to slavophiles the little russians who are ukrainians the white russians are the belarusians and the great russians are the russians comprised one russian people from putin's perspective you know to quote russia's history forms the foundation for our country's world view and culture in the broad sense of the word it is unquestionably a source of our identity and our mission as a civilization what makes us unique the historic continuity and the links between the different generations unquote when you notice as russian president vladimir putin believes that there were many heroes in russia's history and his towering figure was emperor peter the great during his time the country was in disarray and driven by conflicts among the leading boyar clans which led to the deep social and religious divisions that had given rise to violent unrest throughout the 17th century nandilas peter was to emerge as one of the most successful ruler in russian history and a greatest reformer no other russian ruler has been depicted so often and you know commemorated over such a long period of time as peter so we can observe to some extent vladimir putin is emulating peter the great with the ideology of gathering the russian lands the reforms initiated by peter the great revolutionized russian cultural and political consciousness by establishing the new conception of state power that entirely transferred russia not only into a european power but into a european culture and had an enormous impact on language This is the common language Putin was addressing to as old Russian in his 5000 word article about historical relationship between Russia and Ukraine. So the Petrin reforms brought about basic changes in the relationship between Russia and the Ukraine. However, uh, there has always been a sharp difference of opinion between Russian and Ukrainian historian on this question. The one of the most important treaty, the Treaty of uh, Perislav, which was signed between uh, Bohdan Kamlensky and Alexei Mikhailovich, 
concluded in 1654, was not found in the Putinsa historical narration, in which the Ukrainians were granted at that time a certain degree of autonomy in the form of self-determination. But we could see the mention of uh, Stefanovich uh, Masepa's defection in Putin's 5,000-word article, whereas Russian considered him as a traitor and Ukrainian considered him as a patriot. Look at the difference. And Peter the Great noted that Ukrainians should no longer stress that they serve the Tsar because he respected their rights, but rather because he provided for their defense. This pretty much explains the presence of Russian forces in Ukraine and undermining the Ukrainian sovereignty. One of the most important treaty, uh, that is uh, the Treaty of Paris Love, which is signed between uh, Bodin Kimlinetsky of Ukraine and Alexei Mikhailovich of Russia, which was concluded in 1654, was not found in the Putin's historical narration because this is the treaty which granted the Ukrainian certain degree of autonomy in the form of Cossack type of self-administration. But uh, uh, on the other hand, we could see the mention of Ivan Stefanovich Masepa's defection in Putin's 5000 word article, whereas Russian consider him as a traitor and Ukrainian consider him as a patriot. So the Peter the Great noted the Ukrainians should not no longer stress that they serve the Tsar because he respected their rights, but rather because he provided for their defense. This pretty much explained presence of Russian forces in Ukraine and undermining the Ukrainian sovereignty. I would also like to highlight an, another uh, uh, important expression of Bobolo, where Bobolo points out Putin's foreign policy is influenced by belief of systems from the Tsarist and the Soviet past. He noted that Putin's strategy has Tsar Nicholas tenets such as autocracy, orthodoxy and civilizational identity. We could see the influence of these tenets seeming to be very common in the Putin's strategy too. Let me highlight few events that uh, echoes three tenets which is rightly pointed out by uh, Professor Anuradha Chennai in her article about the amendment of Russian constitution in 2020, where Mr. Putin announced a non-binding plebiscite on these changes, which denotes the Russian political system, remains a highly centralized presidential one. Rightly pointed out by Anuradha Chennai, the amendment of Russian constitution in 2020, where Mr. Putin announced a non-binding plebiscite on these changes, which denotes the Russian political system remains a highly centralized presidential one. And one more uh, tenet, the symbolic statue of St. Vladimir Monument, which is unveiled on November 4, 2016 on the National Unity Day. The history of the Russian Unity Day can be uh, the history of the Russian Unity Day can be traced back to Mikhail Romanov. Uh, you know, the day uh, symbolizes the Moscow's liberation from Polish invaders and the country's unity. And this day was celebrated as a day of unity until 1917. However, President Vladimir Putin removed November 7 from the list of official public holidays and reintroduced Unity Day. Ever since November 4 has been known as a National Unity Day in Russia, a day meant to promote patriotism and solidarity between different ethnic groups. Another tenet uh, which I would like to highlight here is, on May 9th, Russia celebrated Victory Day, a commemoration of USSR defeat of Nazi Germany in the Second World War. President Vladimir Putin has previously used the anniversary to project Moscow's moral superiority over Nazism, and the Russia's invasion symbolizes this. 
by demilitarization and denazification of Eurasia according to him National Unity Day and Victory Day symbolisms Putin's narrative of denazification of Eurasia seems to resonate with his justification of the invasion It's been more than 2 months since the offensive started and uh, there seems uh, no stopping on Russia's indiscriminate attack on the Ukrainians How do you look at uh, the sanctions imposed on Russia by the US and its allies Do you think it has achieved the uh, intended effects on Russia's war strategy and actions in Ukraine You know generally speaking sanctions may have two objective economic or political in this case the objective is political and the political objective has not been achieved as the aggression and war crimes in ukraine continue till date so one should also remember that since second world war sanctions have been commonly used as a tool to achieve political goals though with limited success if you take cuba venezuela and iran are the cases in point sanctions against russia for invading ukraine are the most comprehensively imposed against a major power since the second world war but are they effective there is a question now the russian forces you know we are keep uh, hearing that russian forces are you know retreating from kharkiv cherniv and kyiv is due to the military setback thanks to the us and its allies military aid and not because of sanctions they evidently have not prevented russia from waging war however uh, you know i would also like to uh, bring it to your notice one of the most effective sanctions so far was cutting russia off from the global financial community including swift and freezing russian foreign export controls on key technology are also likely to have a significant effect as we know that various task forces were set to impose sanctions for example the task force of european union freeze and seize task force or the task force the klepto capture of the united states of america however the sanctions notwithstanding russia is unstoppable in its offensive maybe due to russia's anticipation of such measures and its preparation for economic discomfort following its annexation of crimea in 2014 and the sanctions ensued we should also remember appointment of mikhail misustin as prime minister who was a long time chief of russia's tax service and this was the first time russia had an economist as a prime minister and under mishustin if you see the tax service launched two vast data centers that collected invoices from businesses and information from retail cash registers ensuring a better control of cash flow we should also remember russia's large banks are deeply integrated into the global financial system and it is one of the world's biggest energy producers meaning sanctions against russia could disrupt economies around the world We have seen how the Ukraine crisis has affected the world since February uh, this year. As it is, the world has been facing a hard time to recover from the pandemic-induced health crisis and economic slowdown. This war has affected the world in more ways than one. According to UN uh, Human Rights Monitoring Mission, thousands more civilians have been killed in Ukraine in the war than the official United Nations death toll. If you look at the uh, official death toll, more than three thousand people have been killed. of which you know, there are there were 250 uh, children and around 3800 people have been injured of which nearly 350 were children so the impact of the crisis is and you know, first of its kind in europe since the second world war the russia ukraine war has uh, produced more than 6 million refugees and more than 7 million people have been displaced making it one of the worst humanitarian crises in recent history 
This has also affected the neighboring countries of Ukraine and Russia alike, not just Poland or Hungary. Even Europe's poorest country, Moldova, has not been spared by the humanitarian crisis. India also has been affected severely by this crisis. Inflation rate in India in the month of March was the highest in 17 months. The fuel prices were already high prior to the crisis and it is at all-time high now. This war has affected the global fuel and food prices adversely, you know, which has worsened Sri Lanka's financial situation and the result is for everyone to see. For Sri Lanka, Russia and Ukraine are the first and third largest tourist markets uh, respectively. Russia is also the second largest market for Sri Lankan tea, the country's main goods export. Russia has also retaliated to the Western sanctions by imposing export bans on a, a string of products. Uh, the export ban includes more than 200 products which will continue till the end of 2022. Russia and Ukraine, you must remember, are the world's major wheat exporters. They also account for 55% of the global annual sunflower oil global export. Around 30 million tons of wheat and maize export has been affected due to the war. The Ukraine crisis has especially added further strain to the import-dependent regions. The prices of wheat, wheat flour and vegetable oil have consequently risen across the globe. So we see the adverse effects in countries like Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Libya and even Palestine. It is costing in the tune of millions of dollars for the World Food Programme every month for its global operations. Russia and Belarus account for 40% of the world's potash exports and Russia accounts for 15% of global fertilizers exports. The price of fertilizers has seen a sharp rise across the globe, especially in the developing countries. Uh, the fertilizers price, especially in uh, Ethiopia, touched the 200% hike. The crisis has affected Italy, which faces highest inflation in three decades. The creeping inflation continues to grow in Japan. The, uh, uh, the fluctuations of the yen compared to the US dollars and the rising import cost and Japan's economic volatility is a worrisome development. Also, if you look at the energy trade, Russia is the second and uh, third largest producer of natural gas and oil respectively. This crisis is going to cause a global restructuring of energy trade in coming days. Why? Because countries like Italy, Germany, Poland, Canada, UK have already started to pursue deals with other countries with abundant energy resources. So we have also seen in the news about the President Biden's administration's diplomatic trip to Venezuela to discuss energy security which shows a surprising shift in US policy stance towards Venezuela. So when we look at its influence in the security sphere, Germany is planning to infuse its military with 100 billion euros to be Europe's strongest armed force. Wouldn't that be a huge nightmare? Poland's defense spending has been increased and plan is underway to double its uh, army in terms of number of soldiers. And the news of uh, Sweden weighing the decision to join NATO and uh, f uh, 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 the latest news, Finland's leaders announcing support for NATO membership is a monumental shift in their policy, especially Sweden's 200 years record of uh, non-alignment or non-alliance will come to an end. So when we look at the Asia-Pacific, the region is important to a considerable extent uh, for Russia, primarily because of its growing strategic partnership with China. Notwithstanding the interest in the Asia-Pacific, the size of the forces assigned to the Eastern Military District of uh, Russia has not been alarming and been uh, modest, we can say. 
the russia's relations with japan has not been a uh, great either and still remains underdeveloped its relation with the korean peninsula has also not been so great as compared to uh, china in comparison china holds far more leverage over north korea than russia does even the much hyped uh, trans siberian energy route from russia to south korea via north korea has never materialized had it been a reality russia's goal of uh, diversifying as much as 25% of its natural gas sales to asia would have been achieved early russia's invol- involvement in the six party talks was also not uh, uh, no, so impressive as that of uh, china still the negotiations discontinued in 2009 so we do not see any great role for china in the korean peninsula russia is the largest provider of military arms to vietnam apart from that russia's policy and uh, role for the asean countries has not been a high priority so maintaining a good relation with china is not just a priority for russia but a strategic necessity it gives a sort of uh, strong sense to us that the strong tie between uh, china and russia is a crucial foreign policy goal for putin so beijing and moscow are engaged in a multifaceted political dialogue and uh, trade between the two neighbors has increased manifold since 2001 we must also remember that president putin has been around since 2001 when the treaty of uh, uh, friendly cooperation signed in the year 2001 the so russia's military exercise of uh, vostok 2018 was another example of russia's engagement with china and uh, you can also see the cebu uh, cooperation 2021 exercise a large scale joint military exercise which reflects the new height of the china russia comprehensive strategic partnership of coordination in the first week of february this year china declared a no limits partnership with russia presidents uh, xi jinping and putin they declared that friendship between the two states has no limits and there are no forbidden areas of cooperation at the same time we are seeing a clear sign of deteriorating bilateral relation between russia and japan in response to japan's escalating sanctions Russia has halted the negotiations with Japan regarding a, a post uh, World War 2 peace treaty this included a negotiation over four islands so all these developments affect US interest in the Indo-Pacific region so again i would like to draw from the history that the hegemonic status quo of the US is being contested as the bids of the Habsburg France Britain and Germany were defeated in the past by the resistance of alliances in Europe So there are multiple challenges for the US to handle the challenges emanating from different regions of course the Ukraine crisis is already there and the Iranian uh, nuclear deal negotiations involving the US Russia China and Europe is also under threat and North Korea the North Korean nuclear crisis also poses a grave threat to uh, the US so we all assume that the fate of Libya and Iraq was the you know, uh, warning from history about giving up weapons of mass destruction but the present crisis where russia has waged war on ukraine notwithstanding the security guarantee given to the latter in lieu of giving up the nuclear arsenal the major challenge for america before the ukrainian crisis was the rise of china especially in the asia pacific which expands america's quad and aukus initiatives but the russia ukraine war poses greater challenge for the us hegemony which is already declining a top soviet foreign policy advisor once said in uh, 1989 quote we are going to do a terrible thing to you we are going to deprive you of an enemy unquote 
So when the world is multipolar, it creates a perfect recipe for nations' groupings on the basis of hot politics, a similar kind of which had led to two world wars in the past. The post-Cold War till uh, the 9-11 uh, attacks, the mainland US still seemed to be uh, safe from external attacks. But the invisible and non-state enemy in the form of terrorism and the so-called rogue states getting the missile technology, it poses a grave threat not only to its allies but also to the US itself. Uh, this pretty much explains Bush Jr.'s withdrawal of uh, the US from the anti-ballistic missile treaty and also developing the national missile defense system. Since then, we have been seeing you know, an enhanced strategy of the US for the Asia-Pacific region. So the question arises, was it the NATO that caused security dilemma for Russia? Will it be the AUKUS that would cause security dilemma for China in the Asia-Pacific? Are we going to witness violent drama in the same theatres that the Second World War was fought in? Now the main question arises, where does India stand in terms of its uh, uh, stance in the Ukrainian uh, crisis. So if you look at the history of the US, China, Russia or even other European countries, they have had either some kind of armed revolution or involvement in military alliances or grouping with other nations. Whereas India's independent struggles or post-independence history had never had any such violent past and its leaders have been influenced by Buddhism and its non-violence uh, non principles. So this explains uh, India not joining AUKUS because AUKUS would be uncomfortable and unwise for India to be a part of, given India's foreign policy co-principles and geopolitical risks involved in joining the AUKUS. The unstable Afghanistan and the political turmoil in Pakistan would be you know, worrisome developments for India in the neighbourhood. Uh, I would like to quote uh, Nehru. In a message to the New Republic in 1947, he stated, I quote, we propose to avoid entanglement in any blocks or groups of powers, realizing that only thus can we serve not only the cause of India, but of world peace. This policy sometimes leads to partisans of one group to imagine that we are supporting the other group. Every nation places its own interest first in developing its foreign policy. Fortunately, India's interests coincide with peaceful foreign policy and cooperation with all progressive nations, unquote. Yet we must also remember India's participation in the ZAPAT 2021 multilateral joint strategic exercise hosted by Russia. And India also had been part of you know, INDRA, the biennial military exercise jointly conducted by Russia since 2003. And we must remember India has been involved in joint military exercise with the US through uh, Abhyas, Vajra Prahar, Tiger Triumph, uh, excluding the Malabar exercise, in which uh, which is a multilateral joint military exercise. So this is to say that uh, India treats both the US and Russia as strategic partners. And so, even in the 21st century, India's policy position in crisis, especially involving major powers, is not that of ambiguity, but that of amicability. No need to say this war is costing... Uh massive loss of innocent lives and this aggression has truly shaken European security architecture which is carefully crafted since the Second World War. And the post-Cold War optimistic security agreements from Atlantic to Urals are also dilapidated. It has indeed strengthened NATO and brought the US into firm leadership in this region once again. However, many countries of Africa, Asia and Latin America that believe in multipolar world have not taken sides. 
even as they oppose the war. India continues to oppose wars in any part of the world, as you rightly observed. India's core foreign policy principles' aversion to alignment is still evident. Given the strong Russia-China relation, as the crisis deepens China's future involvement in the crisis, determine the future of security architecture in the Europe and the Indo-Pacific. The competition between democracy and sovereign democracy is playing with innocent lives. India's strategic neutrality is becoming a major concern for U.S. global primacy in the Indo-Pacific. But there seems no option for India. Thank you, Dr. Nancy, for the wonderful uh, discussion we had here. Thank you, Dr. Subramanian. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Rate this conversation on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. To stay updated, visit our website ipcircle.org and follow us on Twitter at ip underscore circle. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the speakers and do not represent the organizational views held by either the Council for Strategic and Defense Research or the Center for Policy Research.